as an immigrant family, my parents actually did hold teachers to a very high esteem. And I think that's something that in other countries is very common. Mm -hmm. You know, teachers are revered in the community. Teachers are respected. They are really, truly professionals put on pedestals the way that we do to doctors and lawyers lawyers and business people. And that is how my mom and dad saw teachers because they never got to go to school. So when I graduated and became a teacher, I don't think my parents could have been prouder. Like they were literally Mm -hmm. like, you have taken yourself out of the hood and become a professional working woman in a career where you are respectable. And and really, that was what I wanted to do was really make them proud and make them happy. But then, of course, the paychecks came in and I was like, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. This don't add up. Like, I gotta, I gotta pay this credit card. I gotta help my parents. I gotta pay this credit, you know, these bills, the cell phone, the, the gas, electric, the rent. And so the numbers just weren't making sense. Hey, this is Allison, and welcome to the Inspire Budget Podcast, where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today, I have Janelle Espinal joining me on the Inspire Budget Podcast. She is the Director of Outreach for Next Gen Personal Finance, and she's the creator of Miss Be Helpful. She's born and raised by Dominican immigrant parents in Brooklyn. Janelle is a proud product of New York City Public Schools. She received a full scholarship to Brown University and graduated with a bachelor's degree in 2011. After paying off over $20,000 worth of credit card debt, she discovered a passion for personal financial literacy and created an educational YouTube channel called Miss Be Helpful. Let's chat with Janelle. Welcome, Janelle, to the Inspire Budget Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here today because you have such a wonderful story. And I'm honestly just so impressed with how you, I feel like you and I have a similar story in the fact that we are teachers, but I'm impressed with where you have taken your profession and your journey and how you're helping so many people. Thank you. Oh, I always love talking to fellow teachers. I feel like we just have like, we're kindred souls because like we understand that shared experience of being teachers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And we'll dive into all of that here in a minute, but I am excited for you to share a little bit about your money story and then how you got out of debt and what you're doing now and how you're really making a difference. So why don't you share just a little bit about your background with money, maybe money in childhood and where you found yourself in debt. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn in a neighborhood called Bushwick, which back when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, it was very much an immigrant community. It was immigrants and immigrant adjacent. So most people were from Caribbean countries. So Latin American, Caribbean countries, and also West Indian countries, Haitian, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Bayesian, a lot of like a mix of Caribbean cultures, and then Dominican, Puerto Rican, a lot of that, that type of culture as well. So it was really a mix of cultures, but all from a similar region. And they had that shared immigrant experience. The one thing, though, that many had in common was many of the families were low income. And yes. so the schools in the neighborhood were not like the A++ schools that everybody wants to send their kids to, right? We were like Title I funded schools, which means 75% or more of the kids that go there qualify for free or reduced lunch because of our parent family's income. So yeah, just being first generation Latina, growing up in urban community in Bushwick in Brooklyn, it was definitely a very specific type of experience that is like so quintessential New York City. One of the things and I never really talked about money with my family, we never really brought it up. It was just kind of in the air. It was like an obvious thing that we were struggling. Sometimes there wasn't enough money. And I always was aware since I was like a kid that we were on government benefits. So welfare, food stamps, you know, medical plan from the government, uh, 
uh, whether that's, you know, my, my parents now uh, being on Medicare and then when we were growing up on Medicaid. So just like that was kind of the, on my, on my consciousness, but I saw everybody else around me in that same predicament. And I just assumed that this was like the norm, like this is just yeah. how people get by. So, but when I got to high school, that's when I was around like people that had a little bit more money, wearing name brand things and being able to go to all the trips and never having any issues, parents not saying no, getting an allowance. That was my first little taste of it. But applying to college was when I really saw like my parents' income tax statements filling out the FAFSA. I was like, whoa, like we are poor. <laughs> like <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Like we literally, my dad has to split these little bits of dollars coming in between all like nine of his kids and wow. also buy food and also pay rent and also all these school supplies and all the things. So applying to college was kind of tough, but I was one of those really lucky kids that got a full scholarship. And I kind of just like, didn't really have to, I dodged that whole like applying for student loans, private student loans and all that kind of stuff. I received all the grant funding and full scholarship. But this was my entrance to money really was once I got to college, all the kids that were there were really from wealthy families, which was super different for me. And I wanted to keep up and I wanted to like, you know, feel like I fit in. So I, I didn't want to borrow, bother my parents because I knew that like they didn't really have money to help me. And I knew they were already stressed. So I took out my first credit card at 18. It was a student credit card with Bank of America. And it had like a 23.99% interest rate on it. And I maxed it out and got a second credit card, then a third credit card. And when I graduated college, I had $20,000 of credit wow. card debt, even though I was one of those kids that, you know, got that full ride and was supposed to graduate debt Free. Um, so the lack of financial education, I think, is really what was at fault here with me having a pretty good situation when it comes to education, but not when it comes to finances. Oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to talk about. First, I want to I want to talk about the privilege that comes with financial education. But before we dive into that, I do want to talk about you just grew up thinking this is the way it is. This is the way it is for right. everyone because we are what our experiences are around us. And that That's is right. what you believed that that was your truth. That was your reality. And so you figured that was the reality for so many people. When you got that different taste starting in high school and then in college, did you ever think I want my life to be different? Did that ever, did that ever sit inside mm -hmm. of you? And you think, you know what, I, I see what my parents did, but I don't want that for me. Or did you ever like have that actual thought in your head? I don't think that came for me personally. I don't think I had that maturity that like that perspective until I was already in my 20s. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school and college, the mentality that I took was more of a victim mentality. Unfortunately, it was this isn't fair. This is yeah. not fair. Like, why do we get so little? And these people that I see spending and falling out of control have so much. It's just not life is not fair. And I really thought that was just kind of the, the card, the, the deck of cards kind of went around the table. And that was the hand that we were dealt that I took that perspective up until I started my first job teaching. And I started really thinking about what are the choices that I'm making on a day to day basis when I get my paycheck every two weeks? What am I doing with those dollars to actually change my predicament? Or am I using that money? in a way that's going to continue to keep me in this cycle. Mm -hmm. So that was when it first hit me, I think. Oh, I love it. And I think it's very common for people to fall into that victim mentality, not just in finances, but in any, any aspect of our lives. I know that I can tend to do that. And sometimes that's where we have our rock bottom. Sometimes right. we hit that victim mentality. We think, why is it like this? Cause I remember thinking that way about money and I, I didn't grow up poor, I grew up in a middle class, but you know, there's always people that have more than you. And, and I remember thinking, right. why, 
why can't I have more? Why does my family have to struggle in these ways? And yeah. it wasn't until I realized that I was struggling and I was like, why, why is it that I go to be a teacher and I end up with all this debt? And now I'm sitting here thinking, this isn't fair. I'm a good person. I right. went to job. I do have a good job. I do good in this world. Why am I at this point? And that's yep. when I hit my rock, rock bottom. And I was like, okay, we can question this all we want. However, that's not going to change anything. Exactly. Yes. And so, and then you got into education. I was a teacher, you taught, but before we talk about that and going into financial education, I do think, and this has really just opened my eyes, honestly, in the past, like two years, receiving financial education for our parents and, and your parents were immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. They were receiving financial parent education for your parents and even parents that were immigrants was a privilege before Absolutely. the internet. And I, I think that so many people don't realize this, that before the internet, you had to have someone above you that was doing well, that could teach you, you had to know which books to read. You had to have gone to college and maybe have been taught that. So I think that sometimes, you know, your parents, other people's parents, maybe even my parents, you don't know what you don't know. So how can you pass this on to your children? If you don't know, if you don't know yourself and you're trying to figure it on your own. So do you think that was your parents' situation? I 100% do. And I think the um, the reality is not just that you don't know what you don't know, but it's also that most people who don't grow up with a, with the privilege of education being a top priority in the household, mm-hmm. it's not modeled how you self-educate. That's not oh. modeled, right? So wow. in my house, I never saw my mom and dad reading a book unless it was the Bible. Mm-hmm. They never showed us that example that if you want to learn something, you go to the library and you get a book about it. Or you buy a book about it. You, I've never was that happened in school when I was, you know, formally educated. But my parents were never formally formally educated. They never went past like the second or third grade mm-hmm. because they grew up in Dominican Republic and they had to farm labor to help their parents survive. Like that was literally like they were in survival yeah. mode. Whereas when they came to the United States, poverty here is very different from poverty there right. in a developing country. So when they came here, it was like, oh, this is great. We've really <laughs> raised, you know, raised above our ranks back home. And, you know, the government mm-hmm. is helping us. And we're, with the money we earn, we can make do. So they felt like they had really t- taken some steps to come up mm-hmm. uh, out ahead. But then when we, when they, the next generation came into the situation, we started really comparing ourselves to our peers who were already right. Americanized, not to our cousins back in the Dominican Republic. That's not how we were comparing mm-hmm. ourselves. So I think that model of education being a staple and the key way that you learn is huge. I, I didn't get that until high school, until college, when I actually had a genuine love of learning through reading. Right. And that was my saving grace because I read every personal finance book. I read all the classics and even all the new stuff and I became hooked on it. Mm -hmm. So my parents never got the education, but I'm the one that's going to break the cycle because I was able to get that self-education that I needed. I don't have a relationship with a banker, a financial advisor. My parents don't have relationships with bankers Mm -hmm. and financial advisors. So the books are really what opened the gateway for me to finances and personal finance education. Yes, I love it. And if anyone's listening and you're thinking, how do I learn more about this? Number one, you're doing the right thing by listening to this podcast. And then right. two, go to the library, get some books. I mean, there are so many to choose from because you're right. It has, it has to come from the desire to learn more. So, okay, paint, let's paint the picture. You graduate college, you're trying to keep up. You have this victim mentality. You graduate with $20,000 worth of not student loans because student loans, you know, low interest rate. No, you graduated. 
credit card debt, you're talking crippling interest rates. And and then you go into teaching, which is (laughs) not known for uh, good pay. So tell me a little bit about that. Right. Teaching is definitely not lucrative. But the, the, the interesting thing, though, is that as an immigrant family, my parents actually did hold teachers to a very high yes. esteem. And I think that's something that in other countries is very common. Mm-hmm. You know, teachers are revered in the community. Teachers are respected. They are really, truly professionals put on pedestals the way that we do to doctors and lawyers, and lawyers and business people. And that is how my mom and dad saw teachers because they never got to go to school. So when I graduated and became a teacher, I don't think my parents could have been prouder. Like they were literally mm-hmm. like, you have taken yourself you out of the hood and become a professional working woman in a career where you are respectable. And, right. and really that was what I wanted to do was really make them proud and make them happy. But then of course the paychecks came in and I was like, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. This don't add up. Like I gotta, I gotta pay this credit card. I gotta help my parents. I gotta pay this credit, you know, these bills, the cell phone, the, the gas, the electric, the rent. And so the numbers just weren't making sense. And that's mm-hmm. when I finally sat down. I was like, what the heck is going on? And I pulled open a spreadsheet. I added everything up on my credit cards. I saw that my credit cards were over $20,000 accumulated with the interest. And then I saw what I was making every month and how almost every dollar was going straight to uh, bills, credit card payments. Yep. And so I was like, you know what? I ha- something has to give. And so I got on a really, really tight budget. And all of this came from reading Susie Orman's Women and Money. That was like the mm-hmm. first book. I ever read. And after her, I read all the other classics, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Millionaire Next Door, Your Money or Your Life, like all those classics, right? And so finally, I just decided to commit to sticking to this tight budget. And I needed to, I needed to figure out a way to not go crazy because I had all this extra free time that I used to use to go shopping, to mm. go bowling, to go to brunch, <laughs> to go hang out. I was like, since I cut all that stuff, that's literally freeing up like 12 to 15 hours. It was yep. a part-time job spending money. Yep. Spending money was a part-time job that I had and I had to cut it. So I was like, I have 10 to 15 hours a week that I need to f- find something to do or I'm going to waste money again. Absolutely. So I started sewing. I started like, I literally got a little sewing machine. I started sewing. I started making YouTube videos. I started my YouTube channel in 2015 and I started posting videos like, you guys, this is a 50, 30, 20 budget. This is what I started doing. This mm-hmm. is my spreadsheet. This is how I paid off my credit cards. And I just literally was sharing my journey as I went along. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that it was going to become something where like today it's over 50,000 subscribers, over 3 million channel views. And, and I think that's because people want a relatable way to learn this stuff and not everybody is going to enjoy reading that Susie Orman book the way I did. So they want to find their learning Mm -hmm. modality. I mean, you know, as a teacher, some kids are visual, some kids are auditory, some kids want to read. So I think the videos were really helpful for people who were like over books and not trying to just Mm -hmm. like get the information from somebody that they feel they can trust and it's relatable. And so that was my commitment to just stick to that plan. And I paid off all the credit card debt in 18 Wow. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. That because it was still accruing (laughs) interest. Like if you're that's right. It it was still growing while you're doing this. So you probably ended up paying more than twenty thousand dollars off in that time. So that that is awesome. And I love that you I love that you recognize that your free time could be spent doing something that you loved and not spending money. But here's my question. Did you ever feel like you missed out? Like, did you, cause I know a lot of people don't want to have to stick to a budget. They don't want to cut back because they feel like, well, I'm going to miss out. Did you ever have that? You know, I, I work with, I mean, you work with kids, right? So uh, when you work with kids, there's a psychology that you have to, you have to use, right. To behavior, to do their behavior management. So in my classroom, 
I would say to my students, okay, we're going to, you're going to come, you're going to walk by my side when we go in the hallway, because I got to keep an, a close eye on you, you know? And then it, he would say, no, I don't want to walk by your side. And I would say, well, you know, it's really important that I keep you by me I keep you safe, keep an eye on you and that you help me keep an eye on everybody else. So you want to hold my left hand or do you want to hold my right hand? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, now he, now he has a choice. He's like, oh, okay. All right. I want to hold your right hand. Yeah. Because he chose, I didn't tell him come here, hold it, hold my hand and, t- and, pre- and like decide for him. So yeah. giving a child, whether, whether they're you know, feeling like they don't want to do that thing or not, if you explain to them why the why behind it, and then give them a choice, they will have some agency over that decision. So I think for me, the key was, I never felt like I was robbed of my choices. Mm-hmm. I always laid it out like, okay, I can either spend three hours on my Saturday afternoon sewing this dress and selling it on Etsy, or I can go spend three hours at bottomless brunch and spend a hundred dollars. So either spend a hundred dollars in three hours and hang out with my friends or make a hundred dollars and spend three hours listening to music and sewing it. Yes. It did. It's not the same kind of experience, Mm -hmm. but I was able to choose how I wanted to spend my time. And of course there were other ways I could spend my time, but again, I always chose. And then again, the, the, the other thing is feeling like I wasn't robbed of my choice to do certain things. So like hanging out with my friends was something that I always wanted. I was in my early 20s. Like I of wanted course. to see my friends all the, all the time. And so instead of being like, I'm not going to see y'all anymore because I'm on a tight budget, exactly. I would open up, I would like literally open my door. I'd be like, come over on Thursday night. I have a bottle of like $9 wine. Like we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to watch the Beyonce digital drop that just came out. And we're going to drink wine and talk and hang out in my place. Everybody like, you know, just whatever, bring something. If you want, if not, we're good. I have some snacks and I would invite, I would be, I made myself become the host of like social mm-hmm. gatherings that were either free or low cost. So I still got to see my friends. It just wasn't always out and about at the clubs, at the parties, at the brunches, yep. at the whatever. And, and that was my way of coping with the fact that like a little bit of my social butterfly life was, you know, was a little hurt. It was a little hurtful that I wasn't able to fully flap my wings as a social butterfly. But <laughs> I found I found another way so that I wasn't losing that experience. I was just swapping it out and choosing an alternative way. Today's episode is brought to you by the Budgeting Basics email course. If you're new to budgeting or if you need a refresher, then this free email course is for you. I'll walk you through exactly how to write a budget, get started with paying off debt and saving money. You'll also get access to my free resource library where I have a collection of free printables to help you get your finances organized once and for all. Go to inspirebudget.com slash free dash course or simply click the link in the show notes to sign up. It's 100% free and might just be the thing you need to write a budget you can stick to. I can tell you're a very creative person. Not, I'm just telling you right now, like you're clearly creative. I mean, I'm not talking about like the sewing. I'm talking about finding creative ways to spend time with people that's yeah. on your, on your kind of time frame, on your level, on your cost, on your penny. And I think that that's very wise. So I feel like you are definitely a problem solver. I oh, feel yeah. like you are, you find solutions to problems very easily and very creatively. So I, I already like that about you. I might be calling Thank you up with you. some of my problems. Girl, yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and that's why when I was doing all my projects around helping people, I was like, 
what am I going to call myself? Like I, mm-hmm. I truly and genuinely just love to help people. That's yep. like my weakness. It's my power and my weakness at the same time. It's like my kryptonite, but also my superhero power. Like I want to help everybody, but sometimes it's to my own detriment. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up like my, my channel name and my name for, you know, my personal finance brand is Miss Be Helpful because that's, everybody's always like, you're so helpful. Oh my God, that was so helpful. You're so helpful. Like that was amazing. I can't, I don't think I would have been able to get that help anywhere else. And and so I, I made sure that was like my brand. But at the same time, I think the key too is like creative problem solving is not just a like a skill and like a, a you know creativity is like it's like one of my characteristics or a benefit. It's a way of life. And I think mm-hmm. anybody can can learn it, can acquire that yes. skill if they want to, right? But it, it takes awareness of their mentality. Cause my mm-hmm. first, my first few years out of college, I found myself constantly having negative thoughts. I'm never gonna have mm-hmm. enough money. This is never gonna work out, this and that. And when I stopped doing that and shifted my mentality to say, I don't have enough money. What am I going to do? I'm going to tutor on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And that's going to make me extra money. Great. Yep. What else can I do? I'm going to sew a few extra clutches this week, uh, this week and put them up on Etsy and make even if I make 60 extra dollars this week, bam, that helps. Mm-hmm. So I stopped complaining about what wasn't working and immediately said, cut out the complaints, replace them with an action step that's going to help me get towards the solution or get towards an outcome that's going to help me. And that frame of thinking was probably the, the the one thing that like helped me transform my life more than learning about how money works. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Because money is just numbers. It's just math. You can teach it to a That's fifth right. grader. I used to teach money to my you know, fifth graders whenever I taught budgeting and personal finances and not, not as much as they, I should have been because they need, right, yeah, right. Not as much as they need, but you know, it's, it's 80% discipline. It's 80% mindset. It's 80% right. just having the right idea and on how to motivate yourself sometimes. So it sounds like you know how to motivate yourself. Okay, so you teach for two years and where does that bring you now? So after I did Teach for America, which is how I started a teaching career, I was thinking about what I want to do next. I don't imagine myself feeling comfortable retiring as a teacher because I was kind of like, this was fun. This was cool to learn a bunch of skills and challenge myself, but I really want to do something where I'm helping older, like adults, right? Mm -hmm. Like not just kids. So uh, I, I transferred out of teaching and I went to go work at an education business. If anybody has heard of like the Kumon after school learning centers, yes. where they do math and reading. So I was the director of a learning center in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, which was primarily serving families that were on subsidized tuition. So mostly the students that were similar to the ones I served teaching and from similar to my own community. So most of the families really, their kids were struggling in school. They were also struggling mm-hmm. financially and we helped them to kind of bridge that gap. But after a year and a half there, I was really not happy. I just felt like the approach to learning this very rote memorization based Japanese strict memorize everything uh, and don't talk as you're as you're doing your work. It just didn't fit my ethos. Like it didn't fit Mm -hmm. my teaching vibe. I wanted to be able to talk. I wanted them to be able to explain to me why, how they were solving the problem so I could hear them thinking out loud and say, oh, your thinking is is wrong here. Right. Like, let's this is where the mistake is but they're not allowed to talk in the center. It's very traditional approach. I was very sad towards the end of my tenure there. So that's when I knew, okay, I got to go. Right. But it was a good experience because it taught me about running a business Mm -hmm. and collecting tuition and combining education and finances and business. Mm -hmm. So at that time, that's when I was finally became debt free because I finally started my budget and started reading about money. And I started my YouTube channel. After I left Kumon, I was really craving like mission driven work. I was tired of being in the private sector, collecting tuition. I wanted to just like serve families again. So I switched Mm -hmm. to the nonprofit sector and I worked at a a reading literacy intervention program called reading partners. So they literally just like pull volunteers from the community to come into the school and read read books to kids so they can 
improve their reading skills. So I did that for three years, loved it. But again, was kind of like, all right, where's the financial aspect though? Like I missed the money stuff. Yeah. So then I, I kind of took some time off and it's so funny because I was, I was traveling for that summer. I had saved enough money to just take time off and figure out what do I want to do? Do I want YouTube yeah. full time? Do I want to start my own business? Do I want to charge for financial coaching? Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I was in Barcelona with my boyfriend and I got an email from Next Gen Personal Finance, NGPF.org. It's a nonprofit that combines, wait for it personal finance <laughs> and education. I love it. It was perfect. Oh, so what do you do there? So I'm the director of education outreach. And my role basically is like three main things. One is a little bit of curriculum support. So I create weekly videos to help teachers mm-hmm. teach students about personal finance. Okay. So videos about like anything, credit, investing, insurance, taxes, budgeting, mm-hmm. paying for college. The other thing is a teacher training. So literally like yesterday we had 250 teachers on a Zoom call doing a training with me to understand what are the curriculum components that they can use to teach this personal finance class in the fall of 2021. Awesome. And then the last thing is advocacy. So I literally work with like legislators and politicians that are advocating to make personal finance a required class in their state or in their district and just promoting them to create bills, introduce them to the House and the Senate Education Committee so the governor can actually sign it into law and we can change the system of education to include personal finance. Wow. So it sounds like you found your sweet spot. I sure did. It's honestly, it's like, it's crazy because a lot of people think that kids nowadays who say like, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a TikToker. I want to post stuff online. And they like kind of shame them for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, listen, don't, don't shame. Like YouTube was an amazing avenue for me to pivot my career and mm-hmm. show off my skills. I showed off my passion for money and finances, yeah. the knowledge that I have, my accuracy in researching. And I know my stuff. All mm-hmm. of that was apparent just by watching three or four of my videos. They wanted to hire me. So yeah. I don't, I don't think we should be discouraging, you know, this creator economy. I think we can leverage it to create the career path. That is really something we're passionate about. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I did. Yes. And your, your thing was basically an interview, right? Like your YouTube <laughs> channel is an interview. That's so and true. I, I mean, really, if you think about it and my husband is a teacher, so my husband's also a teacher, he's a band director and he was telling his students something about social media and Instagram. And, and he said, my wife like makes money off of like, she helps people on Instagram. Instagram isn't all bad. She helps people on it. They were like, what? No, you know? (laughs) And it's like, you have to see that there is also a good with it. So, oh my gosh, that's awesome. At the end of every interview, I love to ask my guests three questions just to get to know a little bit more about them. I don't want you to think too hard about them. We just okay. want to get to know Janelli, the real Janelli. So the first yeah. one is, what is one thing on your bucket list that you want to do? Oh, I think this one is hard for me because there's so many things on my bucket list. But one of the things that I would love to do is live in another country like permanently. I am so Americanized. I am so Mm -hmm. New York. Like I live, breathe, talk, walk, eat New York, like energy. And I recently moved to Miami and it was like the biggest challenge of my life to like get myself away from New York city, Mm. away from my family, away from my zip code, my environment, my (laughs) comfort zone. But I like that challenge. And Mm -hmm. now I can imagine myself challenging myself further by living not just in another state, but in a like an entirely different country, not in the United States, so that I can experience that kind of lifestyle and experience like at least once 
for not like a month or two, like I did right. in Barcelona. Like I want to do it for an extended period of time and see what it's like to be in a, an international country, in a foreign country. Do you have an, a country in mind? Uh, I speak a little French, so I would love to go to France. I would love oh. to go to France and live maybe like the South of France for two mm-hmm. years. That would be amazing. Oh, you should do it. You should do it. I mean, why not? There's oh, no better time than the present. <laughs> Oh, that means we shall see. Ah, I love it. Okay. The next one is you have three hours to do whatever you want with no interruptions. What do you do with your time? Okay. So, so this is like a a recent bias here because I just moved to Miami, like I said. So I've been seeing that in Miami, there's this boat culture of like people get on these little mini yachts and they just like go Mm -hmm. up and down the river or like, go you know, out by the beach. And I'm like, I just wait, like if I had three hours and nobody was going to bother me, I would just get one of those little yachts, not like a fancy big old yacht, but like a small little mini yacht, get like my favorite books or maybe an amazing book Mm -hmm. that I haven't read yet. Just read for three hours while tending on a yacht and nobody's going to bother me. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You should. And you're right there. You could do it. I know. I could totally, I could totally rent a boat for like my birthday and just do it. Yes, absolutely. You should. And then I want you to send me a picture. I want to see you (laughs) on that boat. It's going to be awesome. The last question is just finish this sentence. My favorite thing I've ever spent money on is. Investing in myself. Oh, that's a good one. I thought you were going to say it's going to be my boat. The boat. Well, ride. it will. It will. After, <laughs> that is after, investing after in I yourself. Yes. <laughs> okay. Boat, so, say that. so when you say investing in yourself, <laughs> tell me more. I think it's two ways, right? One is like the traditional way, which is like maxing out my Roth IRA mm-hmm. every single year since I was 23, 24, which has been like incredible for me just to see how that account has grown. Yeah. And then the second thing is investing in myself in terms of like developing my own skills and creating mm-hmm. a YouTube channel, taking a little bit of my income and putting it towards like, you know, editing the videos, getting software to create thumbnails, and just like actually giving myself a chance to do this thing that I have as a passion project and like make it come to fruition. And in my I mean, you have to put some money aside, but it's an investment in yourself. And it, for me, has really paid off and given me a confidence boost in the past couple of years. And I love that you didn't say it's given me money. You said it's given me a confidence boost. And that's one thing that I think is just so true. You don't realize sometimes that, you know, when we get caught in this day-to-day routine of life, sometimes we forget about doing things that we like, that we enjoy, and we forget about stepping outside of our comfort zone and that the benefits of stepping outside of our comfort zone is that it can lead to more confidence in who we are as a person. So, oh, I love that. Well, Janelle, oh, thank you so much. Go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you. Of course. So YouTube is uh, Misty Helpful, M-I-S-S-B-E Helpful. Um, my website is also mistyhelpful.com. I have the same handle on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the places. So if you want to find me on any social, just search Misty Helpful. Awesome. And we'll link to all of that below. Thank you, Thank Janelle. You. This was so wonderful. And I cannot wait to see you on that boat. <laughs> I'll tag you on Insta. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope you're walking away from this interview with Janelle, just inspired and motivated, motivated to take your learning into your own hands, motivated to find something that just you can pour your heart and your time into that's outside of sometimes your regular routines and just motivated to learn more about your money. We'll be here next week, same time, same place. Bye.